the Continuing Nursing Education Office of the Center for Learning and Professional Development. I'd like to thank you for joining us for this combined session of Nursing Grand Rounds and LNA Grand Rounds entitled Safe and Frequent Mobility to Reduce Falls. I'd also like to welcome anyone that's viewing this session online. Uh, just a few housekeeping remarks. Be sure to sign in be, um, the sign-in sheets over here, and you must attend 80% of this program to receive credit. This educational activity carries one contact hour. For those viewing online, I will be monitoring my email during the presentation, so feel free to contact me if you have any questions during the presentation, and I will relay them to the speakers. Also, to receive credit, please email me within one hour of the completion of the program with your name, uh, license, and postal zip, case, postal zip code, excuse me, stating that you watched the presentation live online. My email address is judith.amazonmaylanghans, L-A-N-G-H-A-N-S, at hitchcock.org. Everyone attending today will receive a link to an online evaluation before the end of the day. Even if you don't need the credit, um, please complete the evaluation. The CNE office values your feedback regarding this program and hopes you take a few moments to complete the evaluation. Your contact hour will be posted to your online transcript within two weeks. There are instructions on how to access your online transcript by the sign-in sheet, or you can contact me. The learning objectives for today's presentation are, at the conclusion of this presentation, the learner will be able to identify the hazards of immobility on hospitalized patients and discuss at least three techniques to assist in mobilizing hospitalized patients. Neither of our speakers nor any members of the planning committee have identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any other conflict of interest regarding this activity, and no one refused to disclose. Our presenters today are Michelle Stinson and Kelly Pizzelli. Michelle graduated from the University of Vermont with a Bachelor of Science degree in Physical Therapy. After working for two, a few years in the Boston area and Boise, Idaho, moved back to the Upper Valley. She has been working at Dartmouth-Hitchcock in the inpatient physical therapy department for 25 years. Kelly Pizzelli is a graduate of the University of New England. Is that right? Yeah. New England? Okay. <laughs> and, is a, um, and is the present clinical lead of, for the inpatient occupational therapy department and is going on 10 years here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. She worked at another hospital and skilled nursing facility before coming here, and she is one of the Falls champions for the rehabilitation department. And I'd like to thank Kelly and Michelle for being here today. Thank you for coming today. I'm Michelle and this is Kelly. And this is something that we're very excited to share with you. Mobility is something that um, we hope you leave here with an excitement for moving people. And um, we hope to empower you to um, feel confident in mobilizing patients. And as Judy said, our objectives, and we have no conflicts of interest. I think that everybody here knows about the complications of immobility and the risk, the increased risk for decline if somebody stays in bed and doesn't mobilize while here. Um, the respiratory system, when somebody stays in bed, they're at risk for atelectasis as well as pneumonia. Um, and of course, 
especially older people are at risk for weakness, even one or two days in bed for an older person who is here and ill um, can put them at risk for falls and weakness, instability. Um, a decline in cardiovascular function, if the person isn't up, using their heart, using their muscles, moving, they can um, really get into trouble when they do start moving, get hypotensive. And of course, pressure injuries, um, skin, somebody who stays in bed, there's a risk of skin breakdown. The other thing that we often don't think about is, um, for the older people as well, is uh, mental status changes for people who don't get up out of bed for breakfast, don't have the window shades open, don't move around, walk, get up, watch their soap opera at the same time they usually do every day. Um, they need to do the things that they normally do to feel alert and awake. And on the flip side, the benefits of mobility, um, it helps obviously to maintain strength. The other thing that I want to say that's really important is that if you mobilize patients often and frequently, you will see how they move. You'll get to know them. And you'll say, geez, they're pretty good. Or in the morning, they're a little off because of their cognitive status. Um, they need a walker. The more you move with them, the more you'll see that they are either steady or unsteady. They need a little help to get up. You'll see from day to day if you're with them consecutive days that they're getting better or that they're getting weaker. And you'll be able to pass that on to um, staff who come on after you. Um, it's good for the whole body, gets them breathing, gets them moving, um, it helps orient the patient, like I said. It helps them perform their activities of daily living. If they're up, they can put their shoes on, they can brush their teeth. Those are all things that they do normally on, on a daily basis, and it really helps them with their strength. If they use their arms to comb their hair, wash up, it keeps them stronger. It helps decrease anxiety. I think that when people are up, they realize, oh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm better. They're not laying there thinking about how sick they are. When's the doctor coming? What's going to happen when I leave here? They're doing something. It also helps uh, with their confidence. If they are up moving, they'll think, wow, I, I am able to do this. I need to keep doing it. I feel strong. Um, they won't be nervous about getting up to move and therefore resist you. Maybe they'll be more apt to get up and move more often. Um, it also improves the likelihood that the patient will be able to go home. Um, I'm sure you've all heard family members say, oh, I can't take my dad home. He hasn't walked. He hasn't moved. It also helps the family to see that my loved one is up moving. They're okay. Um, and also, it has been proven to decrease, decrease hospital length of stay, and of course, that, that leads to saving dollars here. Um, people will be able to go home. I'm sure you've also heard, oh, my dad, can he just stay one more day, one more day to get up and moving more? You've all heard that. Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But often you hear that a lot. If I can just stay one more day, I can get on my feet one more day, I'll be fine. And that's a day. That's money. That's length of stay. And Kelly and I believe that it's really a team sport. Everybody needs to play a role in 
recommending that people get up and move. And it really has to start with the physicians uh, coming in and saying, look, Mrs. Jones, we here believe that part of your care is moving. It's really important. You need to get up and you need to walk every day with the nurse. Um, and we believe this is how you're going to get better. Um, I know that on thoracic surgery, the new um, physician, Dr. Finley, tells his patients they need to walk a mile a day. I don't know if that happens, but he's in there telling people, you need to walk every time he's in there telling them. And so it's coming from the physician, and I think patients are more apt to be excited about it and, and even lead the way. Tell their nurse, oh, look, can I walk later on today? I'm really interested in walking. I think that um, the nurse and the LNA responsibility would be to um, be open to that and also um, let the patient know when they can come. Be really, I'm going to be at 10 o'clock, I have time. Um, how about going for a walk at 10? Reinforcing what the physician has, has said. And physical and occupational therapy's role is to progress the patient to walking with um, crutches rather than a walker, to do the stairs with them, to show them how to functionally improve. Uh, as well as reinforce the goals, the overall team goals. And the patient and family, their responsibility is to um, be engaged, as well as say to the nurse or the physical therapist, geez, my dad uses a walker at home. Is there a walker we can have? Or he needs an AFO. He really does better with his shoes. Um, to, to fill in the gaps, let the team know how the patient moves at baseline. And then I think uh, nursing leadership's goal is to provide an atmosphere on every unit so that um, mobility is a priority. So taking a look a little bit closer at the roles of the team, um, as Michelle kind of said this, we're going to kind of reiterate, but nursing, they're like the coordinators of everything. They oversee all the people who are involved in it. Their job is going to be managing the medications, ensuring that the patients are getting up for therapeutic walks, getting their day-to-day -day activities performed in as normal a situation as can be performed. So if they're capable of getting up to the sink to do their self-care tasks or showering, promoting those activities. Um, they're also going to, as Michelle said, reinforce those um, medical recommendations, set the expectations for the day be the ones that say the patient needs to get up for every meal, or if they aren't eating meals, maybe find another way to entice them to get up. Um, as Michelle said, maybe using soap operas or a TV show that they like, or maybe a family member or friends coming to visit and schedule them to get up to the chair during that opportunity so that they're distracted and then they forget that they're sitting up in the chair, and then that hour goes by quickly. Um, or maybe you set them up with therapeutic activities. Maybe they like to read the newspaper or work on crossword puzzles, and you can set them up while they're sharing those activities. And then they report back to the team how the patient is progressing in regards to the mobility. Um, and then, as Michelle said, the, um, with regards to PT, their job is to look at the musculoskeletal system help build the patient's strength, and they do that through exercise and mobility here in the hospital. And as Michelle said, they're going to determine which device is appropriate for the um, patient to use while here and then after discharge. And they're also helping to kind of look at what's the best plan for this patient at discharge and working towards getting them as close to their baseline function as possible. 
With regards to OT, what we're looking at is using the person's day-to-day -day activities to help build strength endurance and help them maintain um, their mental status. You stay oriented while they're here in the hospital. Delirium is a big issue now here in the hospital when patients aren't engaged. Um, you know, it decreases their quality of life, and then they also become less oriented to their surroundings. We'll also recommend equipment in regards to how they're doing their day-to-day -day activities um, in regards to self-care. So will they need a commode, a shower chair to help promote independence in those tasks? And then how we look at mobility is how it relates to them doing their day-to-day -day activities. So we may look at how they're walking to and from the bathroom or to and from the kitchen to manage um, a meal prep task is how we would look at it. Some considerations to consider before you get someone up moving. Um, the big thing is I would love for nursing to kind of start looking at the chart and saying, does this person have activity orders? And then kind of, if not, a red flag pops up and you're like, why not? Um, we would hope in the future that um, activity is tolerated would be the default order and bed rest um, would just kind of be there as the exception is our kind of ultimate goal it helps get the process moving quicker so that when PT and OT come to work with a patient, there's already that order in place for us to do so. Um, the other thing to consider are weight-bearing restrictions. Some of your patients may be restricted in how much weight they can put through a limb. So kind of quickly looking at that, you have someone um, with full weight-bearing, they're allowed to put their full weight through the um, affected limb. With someone whose weight-bearing is tolerated, they're allowed to put the 100% through that limb, but pain may dictate how much they want to put through that limb. So they may end up having to use a device to help them achieve that goal. And with partial weight bearing, you're putting 50% of your weight through that limb. Um, and again, you'll probably be using a device to offset that. Um, with touchdown weight bearing, I think there's always some confusion around this, but with touchdown weight bearing, that leg is just resting on the floor. There's no, per se, weight going through that leg. It's just a touching point, a balance point while you're out moving. Um, sometimes people say it's 20 or 25% weight through it. We like to think of it as just a resting point during the transfer. The leg is just resting on the floor, but no weight is necessarily going through it. And then with the non-weight bearing, there's no weight going through that leg. And when you're standing, that leg shouldn't be touching the floor. Sometimes, too, it also comes into play not only with mobilizing the patient, those weight-bearing restrictions, but other precautions. So kind of look, does this person have sternal precautions? Does this person have spinal precautions? Does this person have abdominal precautions? Because that's going to influence how well or how that person is going to be able to move. And then lastly, um, as Michelle was kind of talked about earlier, too, the big thing is asking the patient, you know, what was their prior level of function if they can provide that? Because um, that will give you a good idea of what you think they're going to be able to accomplish. <laughs> um, so if they were um, a total lift, you know, prior to coming in here at the nursing home, they're not going to be getting up and standing and transferring to a chair with you. But if they were independent, going to the gym, working out at the River Valley Club, um, then we would expect that they should be able to get up and move. And we want to promote them to work towards that level and getting back to that level of activity. Um, levels of assistance. Um, what I like to think of it is like two categories. Um, you have the one-person assist and the two-person assist. So what I would consider that would fall under one person 
uh, supervision, contact guard, and mimesis. So how I see supervision is that you're present there with the patient, your hands aren't necessarily on the patient, you're there to provide cues for safety as needed. Whereas contact guard assistance, your hands are on the patient to study them if needed. You aren't really providing significant um, physical assistance during that task. And with minimal assistance, you're looking at the staff member providing the 75% um, of the work and the patient, I mean, vice versa. The patient's doing 75% of the work and the staff's doing 25% of the work. And when we get into the two-person assist with nursing, you know, when someone writes in their PTOT note, someone is moderate assist, meaning the staff member's doing 50% of the work and the patient's doing 50% of the work, we would recommend, if you're not confident mobilizing people, to go with the two-person assist. Um, and then with the max assist, um, where the patient only does 25% of the work and the staff does 75% of the work, again, using the two-person assist. And sometimes, um, too, I didn't, we didn't add it, um, if someone's like max assisted two, we may recommend using the dependent left, you know, for safety with the nursing staff. Common transfers that you'll see kind of spelled out um, in our notes. Um, why we wanted to kind of talk about this is kind of give you a little bit of the reasoning why we use certain types of transfers from certain patients. So with the squat pivot or what we call the bear hug transfer with the patient, why we're using that transfer with um, a certain patient is that patient is usually weak, the patient's usually unsteady, and sometimes they can't get fully vertical standing on their feet. So they can partially, they can unweight their butt from the bed enough to do the transfer, and that's why we would use that one. And the, during that one too, you have the risk of the person's legs possibly buckling too. Um, with the stand pivot, that person can get vertical, they're standing, um, but they're weak and unsteady. What you have to be cautious for is that their legs could buckle, so you're right in front of them, probably guarding their knees to prevent them from buckling during the task. With the stand step transfer, that person is unweak, but then they are starting to be able to weight shift and take a step, so they can take those couple of steps to the chair and sit. Um, with slide board transfer, usually what we use that for is when someone can't weight bear through their lower extremities, but they have good um, upper body strength and good sitting balance. So we use a board to kind of act as um, a transition between the two surfaces. So if the person transfers from the bed to the chair via the board, they just slide across it. Um, the scoot transfer is very similar um, to the slide board transfer. Um, but the person has really good upper body strength and they don't need that board to be the transition between the two surfaces. So they're just scooting between the two surfaces. And then the ceiling lift is for someone who's dependent or, as I said, per rehab recommendation. So if they're heavy to assist, we may recommend um, using the lift versus using the two assists for the staff on the floor. Um, and hearing this too, um, with transfers, sometimes, as I said, understanding what the patient's prior level of function is. Um, you guys have the opportunity to meet them usually before we do. It's good to get a sense of what their prior level of function is, because if they are like a, um, a dependent lift at baseline, it's appropriate to maybe look at the resources on the floor. Where is this patient going to be best suited on the floor? You know, is there a lift room available for this patient? Maybe we should try to advocate to get them in that. Um, so that we can work towards the goals of getting somebody up. Michelle's now going to go into talking about the mobility algorithm. 
kind of, what do we do now to get that person up? So this is if you um, don't know a patient at all, say they came from the intensive care unit, and they're not looking so good in the bed, and you don't know how they're going to do. This is a way to go through in your head how to logically think about getting that person um, out of bed to mobilize. Um, the first is, can the patient lift their arms up off the bed? Can they lift their legs up off the bed? Some people can't even do that. If they can do that, put the head of the bed up. How do they feel? Are they getting nauseous? Are, are they tolerating that okay? If that's okay, then go ahead and ask the person to sit on the edge of the bed. I usually ask them to, I usually don't help until they need help. I say, okay, move your legs over. I try to talk them through it. And then if they need help, help them. But first ask if they can do it, or ask them to do it. If they're able to sit on the edge of the bed without help, you're not holding them up, um, and I would let them sit there for at least a minute, see how they're feeling. Um, if they can't sit on the edge of the bed without you holding them up, it's not a good, don't try and stand them up. But if they can sit up without being held, go ahead and try standing. Um, have the walker there if you think you need it. Have another person if you really don't know the person and they look weak. <clears throat> then after they're standing and they seem to be doing okay, march in place. Have the walker there. Now you know that they can move their legs. They're not, you know, trying to, they can barely lift their legs up off the floor. If they can march in place, go ahead and either walk or have them transfer to the chair. Have them take steps. Definitely have a second person if you have any doubt along the way. It's just the safest thing to do. Have a plan. Have a chair ready with a pad, an alarm if you need it. But know what your plan is with this patient when they're sitting at the edge of the bed or even when they're in bed. This is what I'm going to try to do with them. Uh, figure out where you're going. Are you going to only get to the chair or did you want them to get to the commode first or try to walk to the bathroom? Um, have a second person if you need it and clear up, oops, sorry, clear the clutter. Move all of the wires and tubes and stuff off the floor. Move the garbage can out of the way so that when the person's walking to the bathroom, that's not when you're moving stuff out of the way. Um, that's a huge fall risk, in my opinion, when, you, when you're distracted from what the patient is doing and how they're moving to moving stuff out of the way. So do that first. Um, tell the patient what the plan is. <laughs> Say, we're gonna, you're going to sit up and you're going to walk to the bathroom. If the patient says, oh, there's no way I'm going to walk to that bathroom, I usually listen to the patient. They'll usually be able to tell you how far they can walk. Um, sometimes they're, they're wrong, but and sometimes as they're standing and moving, you can coax them to go a little further. But oftentimes, they were right. Oh, you're right. We weren't going to make it to the bathroom. Um, but definitely tell them what the plan is. Um, moving somebody out of bed. Max inflate the bed is always helpful, so there's not a big dip to try to stand up from. Raise the head of the bed will be easier than a flat bed. Make sure the foot of the bed is flat. Sometimes people forget that when they put the head of the bed up, the feet go up too, and there's a big bend in the bottom of the bed. Um, cue the patient to bend the knees and keep them bent while they roll onto their side. When they're on their side, then sit up. Tell them to use their arms to help sit up. Use resources like the chuck pad to 
help them roll onto their side if needed, the sheets, the draw sheet, um, and to use the rail. Uh, standing up. It's really, really, really hard to stand up if you don't lean forward. So try now to stand up without leaning forward. It's almost nearly impossible. Yeah, oh. Your buttocks should be at the edge of the bed, feet flat on the floor. Use a gate belt if you feel it's needed, if that would make you feel more comfortable or you think it's needed for the patient. Cue the patient to lean far forward because if you don't have strong legs, you really can't stand up unless you're leaning really far forward. Michelle, um, excuse me, I had a, a physical therapist once when I had an injury who taught me, um, she called it bow to your queen. It's someone <laughs> from outpatient. And I, she was my queen, and I oh. was bowing to my queen. So now I, I use that to all my like patients. I'm, I'm your, gonna go bow to your queen. <laughs> I like or that. Whatever. Yeah. Or king. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Kelly and I spoke with the Falls champions on the floor on all the floors, and these are some barriers that they came up with, barriers to mobilizing patients. Um, precautions, so here I have listed sternal precautions, but it could be any precaution. Um, hip precautions after surgery, um, femoral nerve block precautions after surgery. Um, nurses find that very intimidating to try to move people who, have, who are difficult or they don't know the precautions, or they have precautions. Um, and somebody on contact precautions, Everybody knows that they can't come out of the room. You really, it is hard to move those people, and they um, well, are on contact precautions for a reason, but are usually sick, and they decline pretty quickly. And if they can't leave the room to walk, it just adds. It's harder to mobilize those people. Um, mental status changes, confusion, combative, those people are harder to move because oftentimes you don't want to put them in the chair because they might get up and fall. Um, I think that there's a reluctance to move people who are a little bit confused. Staffing, staffing shortages, nights, uh, fewer nurses on nights. Um, physical therapy hasn't seen the patient yet. Um, I think we talked about that a little bit in that, in that talk, but um, that isn't a reason not to move somebody. So go ahead and move them before we get there. There's really no reason. Spine precautions. Uh, somebody on spine precautions is on strict bed rest. That is one time when you can't move people. Um, family pressure. Oh, my dad, he needs to, re he didn't sleep at all last night. He needs to sleep. Um, and that's hard for nurses to, to get through to family members sometimes to say, well, you know what? You need to move today. Your father needs to move today so that he'll sleep tonight. Uh, double rooms. Um, there's a lot more stuff for some reason in double rooms, and it is harder to move people in double rooms. You get move things out of the way, somebody's sleeping, um, and not having the equipment needed available to mobilize patients safely. The hospital's buying 20 new chairs. Oh, good. We just found out in skin meetings. Oh, good. So you'll have more chairs. Oh, good. That will help. Um, I have sit. another barrier. Oh. Bariatric patients. I'm oh, yes. a little That's scared a to do those patients. Mm -hmm. And is there are there um, 
what's the thing called you put around the gate valve? Gate valve. Uh, gate for bariatric patients. <laughs> and uh, what, how do you do if bariatric patients are so low? Well, that's a good question. And what <laughs> I would say to that, I think it's in here at the end, good. is that go ahead, well, there's, I don't have a, a magic answer. Yeah. Is that just, because everybody is different, each one of those patients is different, the scary thing is that they're, you can't manipulate their body weight. Um, but I would say go in with the physical therapist and say, show me how this person moves. Help me understand so that we can do it in a safe way. You just have to get in there with the physical therapist, occupational therapist, and see how they do it. And, and actually, oftentimes, those, pe those patients are the ones who will say, oh, I need this, I need that. They'll usually tell you, you need to move over here. I, I need a rail here and this here. They're usually pretty pretty good at that. Good. Not always, but that is that's a good one. For sometimes you don't necessarily have to get them up walking, just even progressing them sitting in bed, you know, progressing them to a chair position. Mm -hmm. You've started the mobility process. Or, you know, if it's not maybe a bariatric patient, even just progressing them the sitting edge bed if you didn't feel confident taking them to the next step of standing, at least you're, again, starting the process, and that benefits them just as much. Sitting at the edge of the bed with the bed, with those people, deflate the seat so you're not on a slippery, puffy mattress. Mm -hmm. Deflate the seat so they're on, a, they're on a hard surface. Um, so now we're finally on to falls. Uh, I think I'm going to go over these first. So if somebody, who's at risk to fall? So we're going to, our goal is to, to tell you that we want you to mobilize people so that you know them very well um, to help prevent falls. If somebody can't stand on one leg for 10 seconds or so, they're at risk to fall. So imagine all of your patients. How many patients can do that? Some. Not many. Okay, they're at risk to fall. If they can't feel their feet or they have poor vision, they're at risk to fall. They're in an unfamiliar setting. The patients who walk with their slipper socks on and the socks come off while they're walking, they're banging their heels like you don't know. I mean, it doesn't look like it. They're kind of banging their heels on the floor. They can't feel their feet. That's why their socks keep coming off. And they're at risk to fall. It might not look like, and that's the other thing I want to tell you, is it may not look like they're at risk to fall, but they are. All of these things put people at risk to fall. Um, poor sitting balance, like I said before. If they can't sit at the edge of the bed, they're not going to do well standing up. They're at risk to fall. So these are some balance, back up on the top, some balance tests that uh, we do in physical and occupational therapy. The first one is an assessment of actually balance, and it's called the up and go or the tug test. And I'm going to have Kelly be the subject right here. <clears throat> What you ask the patient to do is stand up, walk 10 feet, turn around, and sit back down again. So imagine everything she has to do. She has to have strength to stand up. She has to be able to turn around quickly. It's a time test, so the, you're out, you ask them to do it quickly. She has to turn around quickly, go back, and sit down. That's a lot. It's, it's a good balance test. And we'd like people to do it, well, you're at risk to fall if it takes you longer than 13 seconds. So I'm going to have Kelly do it, and I'm going to time her. Um, when I say go, I want you to stand up, walk as fast as you safely can, a little bit past this, turn around and go back. 
So do it slow. So let's, I mean, don't do it fast, fast. I want them to see what 13 <laughs> seconds looks like. <laughs> All right. Okay. Ready? Go. I'm going to be using my walker. <laughs> So that's 18 seconds. So a little bit faster than that, but not much. So that, that's a balance test that's been tested and it's a good one. Okay, this is another one. And this is the five times sit to stand is not necessarily a balance test, but it's a, an assessment of um, functional decline. And what you ask the patient to do is stand up, five, put your hands like this, and stand up five times as fast as you can and I'm going to time her and see how long it takes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Ready? Go. And that was 10 seconds. And you want somebody to do that in nine seconds. Oh no, 13.6 seconds. If it takes them longer than 13.6 seconds and she did it in 10 seconds, they're at risk to fall. So it's slow, I mean, they can do it. I mean, she didn't do it very fast, but um, if they can't do that under 13.6 seconds, then they're at risk to fall. So imagine all the people that you help up, and boy, it's, it just takes all the effort just to get them up once, they're at risk to fall. Oftentimes, I see um, uh, nurses will say, oh, the patient, it was hard to get them up, but once they're on their feet, they're fine. That person is still at risk to fall. And the reason is, if the bathroom door bumps them on their way in, they don't have the strength to catch themselves. So they might like look good on their feet, but if they can't stand up, they're at risk to fall. Five times in under 13.9. So it, I, the reason I'm showing you these is not so I think you know you all need to go out and start doing them, but I want you to think about the next time you're working with people that um, that look pretty good or that you, that you then know, oh wow, they are at risk of fall. The last one is called the gate speed test, and this is an indicator of overall health. And this test is timed also. Uh, you have the person walk 10 meters and you time them as fast as they comfortably can. And 10 meters is probably, and you want them to do it between nine and 10 seconds. So Kelly, I think you have to start outside the door. <laughs> okay, ready, go. Okay, that was eight seconds. So a little, <laughs> a little bit shorter than that, but uh, that is an indicator of overall, especially in the older population, general health. So it's a pretty fast walk, pretty fast foot. So all of those people that you see walking, who are walking slowly, or they're guarded, or they have pain, they're at risk to fall. Even if you think they're fine, you should be there with them when they're walking in the hospital. All right, 
mobilization involves. So this is um, reinforcing some of the points that we've already kind of discussed today. But as Michelle said, moving your patients often is going to get you more comfortable with doing the task, and it's going to increase that patient's confidence in things. Um, think about that patient who is admitted into the hospital because of falling at home, and now we're not mobilizing them. That's only going to contribute to their decreased confidence in their ability to manage mobility and getting around. So if we can send the message here that yes, you can get up and there's a safe way of doing so, that's gonna help them overall improve. And then they're gonna to progress too. They're gonna to get stronger and steadier as the more often that they get up and moving. And it may mean that they get weaned from the walker to a cane or to, you know, to a crutch or something. They might not need as much assistance while doing the task. Um, and then as Michelle talked earlier, those agitated patients, those patients with um, mental status changes. If we can move them before they initiate the movement on their own, then they might be less likely to fall as well. Um, second, as Michelle said, getting that second person in the room. If you're unsure how that patient's um, gonna move, it's better to be safe than sorry. It's always better to have more hands than less hands <laughs> when you're in the room with a patient. Um, and as Michelle said, practice, you know, the more you see different diagnoses of patients, the more comfortable you're going to be. Um, some patients, you know, um, or I want to say some nurses, you know, are like, how is this patient going to move? Well, come in with us and join us. Um, so don't be afraid to ask to join the PT and OT sessions. Um, sometimes people can look scarier moving than they really are. Think of the person who has Parkinson's has a real hard time initiating the movement and getting up moving. But if you learn how to properly assist them and use a little bit of momentum with getting up, it isn't really as scary as it is. <laughs> so don't be afraid to join us. And again, it's overall our job to get up and move people. We want to promote the highest level of activity for them while they're here in the hospital so that they can get back and resume their day-to-day -day activities and hopefully be able to go home instead of going to a nursing home um, or rehab. For some of the elderly um, patients, getting admitted into the hospital is a critical point in their life. Um, where, say they were living by themselves, this could mean them being admitted into a nursing home and staying there, or this could mean like that they're able to go home and get back to doing their day-to-day -day activities. So if we can initiate the mobility here, hopefully we can get them back to doing what they need to do instead of being admitted into the nursing home and then they might never see their house again. <laughs> Chair positioning. Um, ideally, it's great if you can get a patient up to the chair and ideally sitting upright. You know, as Michelle talked earlier, it's going to improve the respiratory status, their mental status. It's going to allow them to engage in day-to-day -day activities when they're sitting upright versus reclined. Um, it is important to kind of change the position, you know, alternate being reclined and upright. Um, also, sometimes the chairs are like, one size fits all, so they may not accommodate all the patients. But try to get the patient's butt back as deep into the chair as you can. That may need, uh, or may need, mean for certain individuals that you have to put a pillow or two behind them to support them. Um, also, for individuals that are um, shorter, you may need to use a footstool under them, because ideally what you want are their arms and legs supported while they're sitting in the chair. And then, as I said, changing positions frequently. We're busy bodies. Everybody like shifts every 15 minutes. Um, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're you know, sitting forward, reclining. So think of that patient that maybe can't do that themselves. We really need you to get in there, all of us. 
um, to be able to shift them every two hours. Um, what we feel are the tools that are needed for successful mobility, um, as we said, walkers in every room. That would be our dream and our goal. <laughs> and we're trying to work towards it, and we're getting there. Um, commodes is needed for patients. You know, as Michelle said, sometimes patients can't walk to the bathroom, but they could get up to the commodes, so making sure that they're available um, to the patient if needed. Um, I would love to have like a clean commode on like every floor. You know, if you just need it, it's there in the pinch. Um, recliners for all patients. If you have the recliner in the room, you're setting that expectation that we're gonna want you to get up to this. Where if there isn't that chair in there, we're kind of setting like the standard that yes, you can stay in bed. <laughs> um, gate belts, as you said, having them accessible so that um, staff feel com comfortable moving the patients, that we're not having to go out and look for these pieces of equipment. Um, the anti-slip socks or proper footwear, you know, if someone feels more comfortable wearing sneakers or they wear braces, using what they typically use at home. Um, robes for modesty and then staff help, just kind of getting everyone on board with helping. Um, and then, as I said earlier, we didn't put it in here, um, if the patient needs a lift room, making sure that they're in that lift room so that they get the best care. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, where do we get gate belts? In stores? We can. We have some gate belts. Um, you can also get them through stores. Stores, um, and they, they have different sizes. Yep. And then I know, like, to e-stock some in their supply. How often should we actually be keeping the patient in the chair? Should we max is three or two? Two for skin, yeah. though. Yeah, that's why. Uh, yeah. And supposedly, if they have a wound yeah. on their their bottom, one hour. Which yeah. is like, oh my gosh, so, and 20 just, minutes to get them there. <laughs> oh, it, it depends really. Sometimes yeah, and then the hour. Is, That's what yeah. skin says. So, um, yeah. and then get and them using to the move. cushion oh. in the chair yeah, yeah. as well. Has to have a um, we, if it's been two hours, stand up, even mark in place, and then, yeah. go to the bathroom, and then get back yeah. to the chair. Yeah. We stand up again. Yeah. Um, we once had someone come from Shepherd, and it always like stayed ingrained in my head um, since she left. It was like the 30-30 rule. So if someone's been sitting 30 seconds, they need to switch their angle by 30 degrees for 30 seconds. And then so in a sense, that would re you know, start their sitting slate. So if someone's been in the chair for that 30 minutes to an hour, can they sit forwards or just stand up for 30 seconds and then sit back in the chair? And then you could promote that patient sitting up so a little bit longer. So would it matter if they're reclined too? I mean, if, um, if you're having them sit up and then you're reclining them, yes, you are shifting where the pressure is and things. But fully taking the weight off is ideal. So what if the patient said, okay, well, I, I'm not really comfortable to sleep in bed. Can I just stay in bed out in a chair and sleep there? <laughs> and because uh, a lot of times they, most of the patients are like home. Yeah. They're actually a recliner. That's a good question. I don't know what the hospital policy is on that, but those chairs are not, they don't have the air and the I know. fluctuating, so that's yeah. a good question. I don't know the answer. I guess I'd put a warrant consult in and let the yeah. doctors. <laughs> yeah, well, we do, because we do train the patient every two hours to actually yeah. assess if they're actually, you know, okay there and um, they're, they're, they're in good shape, you know, otherwise. Can't leave them longer than two hours. Mm -hmm. yeah, what about really the walkers? Do we have front wheel, back 
four wheel. You have front wheel blockers in house, so you have the wheels in the front and then slides in the back. And and then do we also have just stationary and no wheels? Um, usually, Michelle can speak to that. We have a couple standard walkers, but they aren't as we have a few. They're not as popular. So um, how do you know what? what do, which one to use for your patient? How do you know whether they should have two wheels, four wheels? Um, that's a good question. I guess um, because the front wheel walkers and two wheel walkers are available, I would say use that. And the benefit is that um, if it's used for balance, the person can keep on walking and just use it for balance. If um, the person tells you, oh, I'm not using that with the wheels, and they have a standard walker at home and that's what they're used to, usually I think most often that's when I would call physical therapy, or I think stores has them too now. Using a standard weight. walker on um, someone, that's more for someone who really needs all their weight on the, you know, maybe they have one leg and they're worried about the wheels moving. For someone who heavily uses, it takes all their weight through their arms almost and uses the walker. Usually I would say that's, that's the difference. They do have Usually a good because I run down again. I believe so. <laughs> but if you grab the standard walker with a patient who wasn't using it before admission, like Michelle said, they're going to tell you that it feels like it's more work and effort. They have to pick it up every step. <laughs> and actually, they're at more risk to fall because every time they pick it up, they don't have anything on the ground that's stabilizing them. Right. So those people actually, I would say, most often the front wheel walkers are best. That's so when you discharge people to home, you make a recommendation of what kind of walker they should get. Mm -hmm. There's some fancy ones with brakes and seats yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Communication, kind of what works. Um, again, we talked to the Falls champions, and what, they kind of came back saying what works for them and what we really want to promote is, you know, writing on the whiteboards in the room. Not all units have them, but the ones that do, it seems to work well. Um, to write what level of assistance is required, what devices are used while the transfer um, is performed. And then PT, OT, and speech, checking in with the nurse um, and the LNAs before and after um, the treatments, just following up with you, this is how the patient did it today. And then EDH is always the other place you can look for notes too on how the person mobilizes, you know, filtering for rehab and having all the notes grouped together and looking at the latest one. Um, and then the Therapy staff, the PTs are good at putting like a header right at the beginning, um, saying would recommend you know patient up with a ceiling lift or would recommend getting up with nursing assistant walker. So look for that. And then rounds, um, we tend to participate in all rounds. We rotate the staff going there, um, so that's a great way to exchange information there as well. And then again the. Key take-home points or the reminders are anyone can fall in the hospital. Um, we're not saying that we're going to get to zero falls, but if we can minimize them, which we've already done significantly, which is great. Um, and then if, again, if it's your first day working with a patient, be on the cautious side, pull in the second person. Again, it's better to be um, overcautious than be overconfident. <laughs> And then get help if in doubt, and then move the patients often and safely. And then we just have questions. Question. Yeah. Um, are, I heard about the alphabet early mobility. 
are you implementing that here? Is that something I was speaking to somebody oh, about? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Are you talking about the ICU? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, respiratory therapy. Well, Maureen Eaton, who's over here in the audience, <laughs> um, is one of the people doing that. I would say, I would ask her to answer that question. Well, we're getting there. And Chris being in the ICU yeah. is okay. hard. So the bundle, for those who haven't heard, yeah. it stands for the A, B, C, D, E, F. Um, well, yes. wait a second. I was supposed to repeat the question. Oh. Um, <laughs> the question is, Alpha, I just said, how do you about alphabet? The, the okay. alphabet bundle. Yeah, for early mobility. <laughs> so that bundle, it stands for, um, it, it's really an initiative to get people up, moving, um, normalized as, as soon as possible. Um, but in the ICU setting, you have an awakening, which has a lot to do with weaning sedation to a point where they can be awake, timing it with a breathing trial when they're on the ventilator, choosing the appropriate sedative is the C um, for the best alertness. D is for delirium, an assessment of delirium every shift. And there are certain tools we do um, use for that. The E is for exercise and early mobility. And the F is for family engagement and empowerment. So a lot of the things that Kelly and Michelle talked about on the regular floor, this is being done in the ICUs, we currently are doing bits of that bundle. <laughs> we do the breathing trials. Delirium. We have delirium assessment. We use the KMICU and the RAS to look at their agitation, sedation. We had a pilot for the early mobility. We see it's feasible. Is it happening everywhere yet? No, but we're continuing to work on that. Um, and education continuously for people who are coming on board, uh, people like Chris, who do this very well in the ICU to be uh, the mentors for that. So we're getting there. We're part of a collaborative now through icudelirium.org and Wes Ely out of Vanderbilt, who's coming here next month. Oh, great, because they're we'll be talking. champions in that, that I think I read. Yes, one of so your he's coming, and I think keep your eyes open because he's going to give some grand rounds talks on it. Oh, great. And and to nurses, specifically one, one of them and another for everybody, but. Great. Thank you. I wasn't planned. <laughs> I, was just, I know. Uh, good for you for knowing about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other question for me is um, the, I think what, to your point, which is what you mentioned, you know, like, well, I gotta wait for the physical therapist to get here or whatever. I just don't think that nurses, especially since we have such a high level of new nurses, mm -hmm. which is our NRP program, really, you know, in nursing school, you just don't get that that piece and I think it's really it's so imperative not just obviously we know that those the studies have shown that you know in the ICU getting them up but on the floors I mean mm -hmm. it's amazing they just sit there and and I think it's because of the fear yeah. of the nursing staff and the LNAs I think the LNAs get more training in mobility mm -hmm. than the yeah. nurses do Thank and you. I didn't know if you know it's such a great presentation and one that I think the NRP program should definitely make sure, and, and doing it, like showing yeah. them, doing sort of like, okay, this is, you know, this is how you would help somebody, and, mm -hmm. you know, really partnering with OT and mm -hmm. PT.
for nurses because they are the front line and mm -hmm. I think it's really important to drive that home and give them the tools and confidence mm -hmm. to be able to assess their patients. I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. In fact, you could have just given that talk. It took you three minutes to say what we said in 40. Um, and that's exactly our point. And, uh, and, and it, is, it is also unit specific. So for instance, the Parkinson's patient, unless you move a lot of people with Parkinson's, you don't know, ooh, they're gonna fall backwards. But if I just encourage them to lean forward, they do great. And for the, the total hip or the total knee patient, if you're on orthopedics, you're very comfortable with that um, or you should be with that patient population, but I think just helping all of the nurses to, you know, especially the younger nurses, you just have to do it to feel confident, to feel comfortable. I think one of the barriers, though, is when the nurses, I could be wrong, but when the nurses see PT come, they're like, oh, good, you're here. I've got this, 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 this to do. You'll find me down the hall. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think it's, they're so busy that um, I think it's great if they can participate. Mm -hmm. Lots of times there, especially when you're first getting them. Yeah. Out, so, that mm -hmm. you yeah. Get so I don't know how much you get nursing to participate with you, or if you ask them, are they willing to or not? Right. Uh, well, I think that uh, depends on the therapist. But I often, if it's somebody I'm really worried about, I'll ask the nurse, "Oh, would you mind coming in and and." Uh, and watching with me or doing it with me yeah. so that you know the next time they get up yeah. how to how to move them. I think you have to engage them. Yes, yes. And you know, it's it's gonna take time and I hope I mean, maybe we can take our, our message on the road and with all of you helping uh, make an effort because I really do think it's best care. It's, it's just yeah, best absolutely. care for everybody. Sometimes it's the most simple things. Yeah. Really what, you know? <laughs> yes. We forget those things and look to make things much more complicated. Yeah. Questions online. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you all for coming. Thank you for the questions. Thank you.